Today's episode of Horror Movie Talk brought to you by KetoCraze.com. Ever wanted to eat your weight and bacon every single day? Tired of taking boring old regular shits? KetoCraze.com can get you on your way to a fitter life while providing you the sense of out-of-control madness that you so deeply crave. Visit KetoCraze.com to see just how far you can push your body in the name of health today. Hello and welcome to Horror Movie Talk, an opinionated and accidentally funny horror movie review show. Your schlubby hosts each week are Bryce Hansen, the cool collected nihilist, and David Day, a cool guy who is always worried. New theatrical releases always get priority, but we also review older horror movies, both good and horrible. I'm David Day. I'm Bryce Hansen. That's Bryce Hansen over there, and... Boy, do we got a good show for you guys today. I'm pretty amped about it because we went and saw an early screening of the new Pet Cemetery remake, and I was pleasantly surprised. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Yeah, I I was a lot better than I, I expected. So we got a great show uh, surrounding the Pet Cemetery remake for you today. And we'll be starting out the way we start out every show, by giving a brief review and score for the movie. We score on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being bad, 10 being fabulous, and 5 being just kind of average, just kind of meh. It kind of hits all the things you expect it to, and it's nothing amazing. After that, we'll give our score and get into spoilers and take a deeper dive into what we liked and hated about the film. And after that, we will be doing the Rotten Tomatoes game, which is a, a, a staple on this show. At this point, it's a, it's a game where I pit two movies against each other um, for Bryce, and he has to guess which one has the higher Rotten Tomatoes Tatometer score. And today's theme for that is going to be Originals versus Remakes. So we're going to take a look at movies that have been remade and pit them against their originals exciting but first we're going to plug our website horrormovietalk.com you can check us out on there we got new posts that go up every single week as well as blogs and videos and all kinds of fun content for you to check out and since we're talking about pet cemetery today we should probably mention our breakaway hit in the blog post <coughs> category yeah, yeah keith's blog that compares his impressions uh, of pet cemetery the the remake based on the trailer to the original uh really has been doing quite well for us yeah up until yesterday we were ranked number one on google for pet cemetery original versus remake and we got knocked off the top spot by uprox those bastards bunch of clickbaity so <laughs> our clickbait. if you want to read them if you want to read the blog don't go directly to the website search pet cemetery original versus remake and then click on our listing right which kick is off up rocks from the from that top spot those clickbaity bastards yeah they're clickbait beat our clickbait <laughs> we post new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to subscribe and leave a review of the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen. You can also support the podcast by buying, renting, or buying, you know, just buying anything on Amazon if you go to our site, horrormovietalk.com, first and then click through our link at the top of the banner. It says buy stuff on Amazon. It's green. Yep. 
You can bookmark that, and then every time you go to Amazon, you can just, you know, help us out. And it doesn't add any extra cost to your purchase. It just lets us have a little piece of it. A piece that Amazon doesn't need because they're a multi-billion dollar corporation and we're starving artists. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Jeff Bezos might need the money. He just lost half of his fortune to his oh, wife, probably. Oh, half of billions and billions of dollars is still billions and billions oh, of dollars. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah. Also, if you would like to support the podcast and get access to great, great horror stuff, streaming horror stuff, go to Shudder.com, sign up for a free sub- a free month trial, um, and enter HMT at checkout. And you, like I said, you get 30 days free instead of the normal seven days free. Um, newly added on Shudder just recently, pretty notable titles um stuff that i'm planning on checking out you got halloween 2 and 3 halloween 3 is season of the witch which we also have a great blog for discussing about how it kind of got um kind of got waylaid by critics and stuff when it when it really was a, a worthwhile entry to the series also on uh shutter we got critters a new binge which is a shutter exclusive series this is a show about critters <laughs> It's like 10 episodes long. It looks insane. I got to start it. Yeah, we got to watch it. I had a coworker send me a clip <laughs> from it where it's just like one of the critters gets kicked or something. And he's like, ah, fuck. <laughs> you also like, got other yeah. other uh, new stuff on Shudder right now is The Fly from 1986. Great movie. Lots of body horror there. You got Cloverfield, which is a kickoff to one of my favorite series. Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, Army of Darkness, Jacob's Ladder, The Burbs. You can't pass up The Burbs. Come on, people. Is that Would that be the only Tom Hanks film that could be classified as a horror movie? Um, I, mean, I mean, there's a lot of borderline horror in, in a lot of the stuff he does. Being stuck in an island for many years is pretty pretty upsetting no i'm the captain now that's also pretty upsetting yeah it's not horror it's kind of thriller thriller yeah burbs is probably thriller ish too yeah i mean burbs is as close as you can get really i think when when you're talking tom hanks i would also like to throw out a challenge to our audience right now if you can come up with a new game for us to play at the end of the show like like the rotten tomatoes game like taglines like uh, boy, what are some of the other ones? There's uh, horror kill, movie kill or count. lifetime movie. Horror. Yeah, if you guys can come up with a new original game that we end up using on the show, I personally will send you a ten dollar Amazon gift card that you can use to support the show. So you'll use that and click through our link, and then everybody will be. You can do whatever yeah. you want with. It. So do that thing, and then I'll do that thing, and then we'll do that thing. Thanks again. For listening, and let's get into the show. We went and saw an early screening of Pet Cemetery 2019, and I was bracing for a very bad movie. Even though I was guarded, Pet Cemetery proved itself to be a stellar remake that I would venture to say was a little bit better than the original. This remake used the first movie as a foundation to build a familiar but different enough movie that had lots of callbacks and was, in many ways, a response to the original. So with that, let's let's play that trailer. In the woods today, LA discovered a charming little landmark. The pet cemetery. 
place to bury our pets and remember them. Might seem scary, but it's not. Perfectly natural. Just like dying is natural. The whole town's been using this place for generations. Folks make a kind of ritual out of it. It's not some campfire story. Saw these in the trees up there. They're warnings. The local tribes carved them before they fled. They fear that place. There's something up there. Something that dates way back. Those woods belong to something else. Something. That cat was dead. It brings things back. Church? I know what you're thinking of doing. But they don't come back the same. What's going on? Hug your daughter. I should never have shown you that place. Your child is not the only thing that will come back. The barrier is broken. second chance sometimes dead is better <laughs> so it's interesting <laughs> like i was saying keith should update the blog once he sees the movie since it was based on the trailer but i don't think there's a lot in the movie that's not in the trailer. I mean, especially if you've seen the original, like you can fill in. It's mostly pretty about much everything. Yeah. It's mostly about your response, like your impression of how it hit you. And, and in that regard, this is a fresh take on the old classic. This really is. This isn't just the movie remade. Yeah. It's a much different tone than, than the first one. It's a different tone. It's a it's a response to the first. So in my opinion, if you're going to watch this movie, it's going to be made much, much better if you for first go through and watch the original. Go that is that is almost required homework to make the the remake much more enjoyable. Because there's so much stuff that is set up in the first that makes you anticipate certain certain things happening and they either they either play out differently or they they twist it a little bit. They, so they so so you know the same thing happens but not at the appropriate time, and so it it kind of oh that's yeah that I mean surprises it, it, you. It kind of subvert subverts your expectations. Yes, several several times, especially if you've seen the original. Yeah, or even if you've read the book, it changes some of the story elements um, a little bit for you know different reasons yeah but in the end the things that they changed weren't so annoying or problematic that it was distracting or made me mad no and in fact in in a lot of cases it gave a better it gave a better 
motive to the character, right? So, and we'll get into that. Yeah. But, um, boy, man, think about how many times John Lithgow had to, how many takes they did of Dead, sometimes Dead is better. Yeah. Like, they probably just sat there, and he just, sometimes, Dead is, dead is better. That is, that is better. That is better. <laughs> so... If you listened to our last podcast episode, which was a review of the original Pet Cemetery, then you can skip this little setup section because it's <laughs> basically, I mean, it is at its base, it is the same movie because it's Pet Cemetery. So Pet Cemetery tells the story of the young Creed family. Lois Creed, Lewis Creed is a doctor moving to a small town of Ludlow, Maine with his wife, Rachel, and his two children, L L is it L or Ellie? Ellie. Ellie. But he calls okay. her L too. Okay. Okay. Uh with his two children, L and Gage. Immediately they meet a, the kindly old man Judd Crandall. Well, this one's a little this one's different because they don't immediately meet right. Judd. Right. They don't immediately meet Judd. Well, the, I mean it, they do immediately meet him, but but not as immediately. <laughs> I, I see you copied and pasted my my synopsis. It's a, yeah, absolutely, I did. It's this. It's at its core, it is the it is the same yeah, movie, right? Uh, and and I'll get into the differences on the spoilers, but but because the differences, <laughs> you actually did just copy and paste mine. That's funny. Yeah, but but the differences are spoilers in this. If 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 you take if you step back and and look at this, the different all the differences in this movie are actual spoilers to this movie. Okay. So, I mean... Proceed. Yeah. We'll talk about it. So, Judd introduces the family to the features of the property, um, but he doesn't actually introduce them to the Pet cemetery. That's a, that is a spoiler. Uh, mainly, he, he, he shows them the, the busy road filled with uh, exclusively with speeding 18-wheelers and other stuff about their property. He doesn't. Yeah. Uh <laughs> Anyway, the, <laughs> really, I should have read this before the crux started of the, reading. <laughs> the, the crux of the, the <laughs> okay, proceed. So the crux of the plot lies uh, entirely on what lies beyond the pet cemetery, a Micmac Indian burial ground that holds sec- the secret to resurrection. After the loss of a family cat. Church, Judd takes Lewis to the Indian burial ground, which has the unique feature where whatever is buried there will come back to life. While the feline resurrection saves Elle, the grieving of the 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 grieving of losing her favorite cat, the knowledge of the power to restore life is a Pandora's box that only results <laughs> in misery for the Creed family. See, I ruined it. You should have just I, I should have just let you read it verbatim. And then have it actually be exactly like, without calling, it, <laughs> without it. calling attention to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so here's here's the differences. I, uh, these aren't spoilers, but the difference in the movie in this one is that um, Judd doesn't immediately right come over the Creed family, and I think it's specifically Ellie. Yeah, watches that procession of kids in masks with their dead pet go right. go bury it in the pet cemetery and then they go back and they're like well that was weird i think there's like one truck that passes but it made a way bigger deal in the original about 
just a bunch of semi trucks yeah. passing their house all the time. And it was just, it was a little more subtle in this one. And Judd didn't point out the connection between the pet cemetery and the road specifically. Right. So, yeah. Judd, Judd was more of like a kindly man that ran into Ellie as she was investigating the pet cemetery and then gets introduced that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's accurate. So this movie surprised me in a lot of welcome ways. It was similar enough to the original that it felt like you knew what was coming, which would, would that would be boring. If, if you knew what was coming every step of the way, that would make this a bad remake. The great part of this remake is it twisted and moved around your expectations to surprise and titillate. There were moments where you were sure you knew what was going to happen because of the original movie. The setup was there and then nothing. A deep, just a kind of a, a, a moment to breathe. Other places where you expect A and got Q, and who the hell expects Q? No one. So overall, I'd, my impression of this movie was was pretty darn positive. It, it, it That being said, it wasn't the best horror movie, and it wasn't, you know, the best movie. But it was a great remake. And for that, I give it an 8 out of 10, which is one point higher than the original that I, that. We both gave the original. We both gave the original a seven. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep mine at seven. I give it the same score as I gave the original. Um, it it was as good for different reasons. It did some things better, and the original did some things better. Um, and there were there were some, some choices that they made that were like, eh, it's a pretty easy, the, the easy way. In terms, especially in terms of production mm. design and some of the direction, um, it was more it, overall. It was a slicker movie, and it was a lot more cohesive well than, the, than the original. And yeah, the acting was definitely better, way better in this one, um, and the characters were better. But the some of the some of the scares and like I'm I don't think I was as impressed with the the uh the fake outs. It was like it was good and uh they're pulled off well, but a lot of that's like uh they're also it's also kind of a trope in horror movies, especially with like jump scare stuff to be like Oh, listen to the music, that means something's gonna happen. And then something happens. Yeah. Like that that happens several times yeah. in this movie. And I can't blame them. It's super effective. Yeah, like it works. people people love it. Yeah, I mean, they use the, it because it works. The conjuring universe is entirely built on that premise. One of the most successful franchises right now because of that trope. So yeah. I can't I can't blame them, but I like I've seen it before. You know, well, it's not sure. super impressive to me. Yeah, and you know, if you if you look at um if you look at movies that, re- like, f- like uh, terrified, a Tararos. If you if you take a look at that movie, in a lot of ways, it's just a rehashing of very of things that work. Yeah, I mean it's, that is kind of the thing about the horror genre is there's only so many ways you can slice it. Like you, <laughs> no pun intended. Nah. Uh, <laughs> like there there are some tricks that work, and they will continue to work because. It's hard coded into our brain. Yeah, and you and the and the movie des- uh, production team's job is to come up with new and interesting ways to make those same things work over and over again. Yeah, 
but also when they don't use them, it's <laughs> sometimes more disturbing. Yes. Because, you know, if you look at a movie like... Hereditary. Hereditary or uh, the, house that, <coughs> the House That Jack Built, like the difference between what some of the scenes with The House That Jack Built is that there is no setup. It's just flat. You're just like, this horrible thing happened all of a sudden. And it just feels very based in reality. Yeah, it's, it feels like... The, way oh, more disturbing this than is, if it's... Yeah, this is how things happen. Yeah. It's, it's quiet and everything's calm and then somebody snaps and they murder someone and then... Like oh. even... I'm, I'm thinking like sound effects. I'm trying to think of a good, of a good example. Like if you clunk someone over the head if someone is attacking someone by bludgeoning bludgeoning them in bludgeoning them in the head um a very movie thing to do would be just have a huge sound effect of like a you yeah. know mm-hmm. and that's like that's effective that's because you're like, exclamation ooh. mark yeah yeah because you're like ooh, that sounds bad but if you have a movie that just uses the sound of someone getting hit in the head. Yeah. Or if you like just see a YouTube video, it just sounds like. Yeah. That's it. And that's like, can be more disturbing when you realize like, oh, that feels like that really happened. And that's not something ever I'm ever supposed to see in my life. Right. Unless someone you literally use, get murdered by being clunked over the head. Unless you use an aluminum baseball bat when you get those, <laughs> those nice dingers. <laughs> so there it is uh i give it i give it eight out of ten bryce gives it seven out of ten but because i'm writing the review it's a eight out of ten for horror movie talk so so you're wrong so with that let's get into the spoilers Spoilers. <laughs> if you want the bare bones of how Pet Cemetery spoilers plays out, I would suggest listening to our previous episode, uh, the one that aired right before this one, last week's episode, about the original Pet Cemetery from 1989, because that's going to set you up really well for how the spo- spoilers in this one differ. Pet Cemetery begins with Ellie finding the Pet Cemetery because she saw a procession of children walking on her property down the path, as Bryce explained earlier. In the original movie, Judd brings the family to the cemetery, which kicks off the whole downward spiral of, you know, the arc of the movie. Yeah, that's one of the things that, like, I felt the original did really well is setting up the dread of, look, here's a road <laughs> to exclusively... Uh, filled with semi trucks that kill animals all the time, so much that we have a pet cemetery right here. Right, and so you're like, "Hey, wait a minute! Hey, wait. They, they have an animal. Yeah, they wouldn't. They wouldn't let that animal. They wouldn't kill kid. a kitty. Not in they? a movie. A little kitty. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but it does. But it, in this, it. it I it, appreciate this setup for a different reason, which is this is this this difference while small is relevant because it shifts a bit of the blame from kind old Judd to basically no one in particular uh they they would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for those kids wearing the spooky dog and cat masks this this is kind of like hand shot first 
in Star Wars, right? In the original cut of Star Wars, Han shoots Greedo and Moss Eisley, implying that he is a bad man or a murderer. And in the late, in the late 90s re-release, they changed it so that Greedo shot and missed Han, implying that Han was a good guy all along. He shot in self-defense. And that fundamentally changed the character of Han. And while not, it's, it's not as weighty in the Pet Cemetery remake, I think it's at least relevant to bring up that Judd is not responsible for introducing this family to basically potential evil. Mm-hmm. Judd takes to Ellie and begins to form a relationship with her. The kind old man has a soft heart for the little girl who just moved in next door, and it's sweet. It's a, it's a nice feeling. There's nothing sinister or weird about it. It's just kind of a good feeling. And John Lithgow actually does a really, does the role of Judd really well, I think. Yeah. I think people, people have been complaining that he hasn't, there is no attempt at the main accent. But it's like, eh. Yeah. Whatever. It was a feature of the original. There was a couple, like, really many accents, especially with, uh, with Judd. Yeah. But... It's not, it doesn't matter. Yeah, what's, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that, and I was like, well, I mean, how much does the main accent add to the movie? If it, if anything, it creates a little bit of a a circus, you know? It's it's like a side attraction that doesn't really lead anywhere. Well, it, it just makes Stephen King feel better. Right, exactly. This is just kind of a masturbatory thing for Stephen King. <laughs> it's like, it's in Maine. Hey, check it out. Maine. Maine, though. Maine, right? Yeah, so because I kind of liked, <laughs> I actually really liked uh, John Lithgow's performance in this, I have to eat my words from last episode where I was like, no one can touch the character of Judd. This is a sacrilege. Yeah. I think he did a fine job of it. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that this film does a lot better than the original is um the acting and the writing for each of the characters is a is a lot better yeah um the first one was a lot more lewis focused like heavily around lewis so much so that like they seclude lewis from everyone else for like over half of the movie yeah like there's several times in the original where um the creed family like goes somewhere and leaves lewis alone and he's like facing all these things and discovering all these things on his own yeah this one there is a time that they leave him, but it's just at the most important moment, and it's not like while he's finding out all this stuff. But anyways, that's a, that's a sidetrack. But what I was going to say is the most noticeable uh, increase in in uh, <laughs> in quality uh. in the acting and the character development is with Rachel. Yeah, oh, yeah. Rachel was actually interesting and... The acting was great. Felt like a real person and not a one-sided bitch. <laughs> Don't... Oh, damn. I should have had Chilly Shally up. Don't Chilly Shally, Lewis. Don't Chilly Shally, Lewis. Give the little girl a promise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, her and just the, the interactions between everyone felt more real and that there was other stuff going on before and and after. I think that alone is enough to bring it up a point. That's that uh, the fact that all the characters were well acted, like 
Like the guy who played Lewis in the first one, boo. Like you said, he was a half the movie at least, and he was just a bad actor. Yeah. Yeah. That that does bring it up a lot. It does. The acting in this was... I mean, it's not like the acting in this was spectacular. John Lithgow did did a really good job. Everyone else did a pretty good job. Like, I believed all of them. The, the difference is, the first one was very bad. <laughs> like, the acting was... Barn on bad, and yet it still pulled out a seven. <laughs> Probably based on the story. But right. this Rachel character brings us to my next point, which is the Zelda subplot in this is way better in every way. Uh, Zelda is, is if you're not familiar with Pet Cemetery, Rachel is the wife of Lewis, this, this, the family that we're focusing on. And her sister, her older sister, was Zelda. And Rachel has a lot of flashbacks regarding her older, her now deceased older sister, Zelda. Uh, Zelda had some kind of horrible degenerative disease, and Rachel has lots of flashbacks to being a little kid who has to take care of her terrifying older sister who also hates her. To make matters worse, in this movie, like I said, Zelda actually resents Rachel for not having a gen- degenerative disease and seems to wish her some sort of harm. Yeah, in this movie, I don't think they call out specifically that it was spina bifida. Yeah, it's so, some sort of disease. Yeah, they just said that your spine will be you know, all twisted up, twisted up, just like mine. Yeah, it's, I actually don't know anything about spina bifida, but maybe it's to you know, looks like a heck of a ride. That you don't want to, you don't want to piss off the spina bifida lobby. Ooh, you know, yeah, <laughs> forget about it. They got money for days. Zelda and they are litigious. Z- <laughs> The scares surrounding Zelda in this movie are probably the most intense scares, and while many of them are jump-scare-oriented, the tension is built quite well, and I uh, I liked it. You know, I was like, woo, that's spooky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, ooh, what a spooky, spooky thing. Yeah, the other thing about the Zelda storyline is it's much closer, closely, much more closely integrated into the plot. Yeah. That it feels more part of it than a complete aside yes. in the original the the original it feels like Stephen the, King writing a short story within a novel right and then just kind of tacking it on it feels like the gremlins dad in the chimney subplot right. which is just tacked on and weird right i mean there's there's other callbacks in the original at, at the end but it's not it's more of like you know when you're in the the conjuring or something they're going through their their hall of horrors and they're like oh yeah and this one this is a doll annabelle blah 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 and this this is a like a haunted thimble that actually haunted a family blah 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 and then like it goes through the whole movie and then there's just that one yeah like valak that one one scene with the thimble it's like oh Ooh. Spooky thimble. <laughs> Even the spooky thimble's getting in on it. I like. It was, it was kind of like that in the in the original. Is there really a spooky thimble in the Conjuring? No, I'm just okay. using it as an example. I, I would love it because you know there's got to be a spooky thimble, right? Yeah, of course. somewhere yeah. someone has one, and the. Imagine the process that it takes to narrow down what's fucking with your house, and eventually you get to the thimble, and you're like, I knew it the whole time. It was the thimble. <laughs> You fucking thimble. So that was that was kind of how they treated it in the original. In this one, it was literally like it was important to the character of Rachel. Yeah. And it was important to the relationship between Rachel and Lewis. Right. And they didn't like 
completely tell the story they in one shot. They, they did not shilly shally. They, well, they did shilly shally. They they held off giving the complete picture of the Zelda story until, like, in the midway, like the latter half, I think. Yeah, because the latter half is when it actually. Well, maybe not the latter half. Yeah, about midway, she like reveals that she was responsible, basically for yeah, but for Zelda dying. Yeah, but it was an accident. <laughs> Got it. Zelda dying was, it was an accident. It was an accident. It was an accident. It was an accident. Uh, <laughs> also, so the subplots in this in this movie were done much better than the original. The and now I'm going to be talking about the Victor Pascal subplot was vastly different. Uh, as well, uh, it, uh, the Victor Pascal subplot was vastly different as well uh, in that there was much less of Victor. And this worked for me because, frankly, Victor was a distra- distraction in the original. And he was always showing up all the time, and there was no real reason other yeah. than to be like, look, they can see a dead guy. He's uh, there maybe shining or something like that. Yeah, I think he was more of just an exposition character not necessarily like laying out everything but just basically saying this important thing don't don't do this yeah don't go here that's all i'm here for right um yeah i think i mean pascal isn't super integral to the plot i mean i think when i wrote out the review for the original last week i realized i got to the end of it and i didn't even mention pascal yeah, like, so I mean, it's visually and as the movie, it's an important feature. That's what's important in terms of the plot. It's not a big deal. Yeah, they put they. It's almost like they were like, "Well, we need more spooky imagery." Yeah. So let's put a dead guy with his head broken, in you know, and he'll be a ghost. Ghosts yeah. are scary. It's another like short story, kind of thing, inserted yeah. into the film or novel in Stephen King's case. Um, I'm sure in the novel it's like makes more sense. In this one, um, he is much more dreamlike. It's never like feels like it's just a guy standing in front of him, <laughs> surprising him at his bed at the foot of his bed. Right. It's more of like Lewis is caught in a dream. Let's check this thing but out. But then finds out maybe it's not a dream. Yeah. But like all the, the just weird dream logic and and Pascal is part of it. His voice usually in yeah. some kind of smoky vision of his face there was less victor and it worked uh for me uh so that that was cool one thing i noticed in this movie uh was a deer head mounted on judd's wall in his house and i couldn't help but think man it would suck to be dead so near the one place on earth where you could be easily resurrected (laughs) like that that deer head is i don't know half a mile from the place where it could you know be alive again Mm -hmm. it's just sitting in judd's house i wonder how how long you have before the Micmac burial ground will stop working? What do you mean? Could he take that stuffed head and bury it in the Micmac burial ground and it would the head would come back to life? I'd like to think so. <laughs> or if you just put some bones in there? Well, like... actually, interestingly enough, th- this movie delves in... We are in the spoiler section, so it's all fair game. Well... Okay, we'll we'll get to we'll get to this this concept of how dead and long how how long do you have to be dead 
for the Micmac burial ground not to work anymore. This is like a Gremlins rules discussion. Right. Like, it, obviously, it, it doesn't make sense because it's, and it's fantasy. Purely theoretical. But, I mean, in the rules of the movie, you can bring back someone from the dead, but you can also still kill them. Right. And so it doesn't really explain why, but stuff like strangling them or stabbing them in the heart or in the head, like that will kill them. Yeah. Kind of like a little more, little more liberal version of zombie rules. Yeah. Like you can, you can kill them like a normal person, but they're undead. Yeah. So then that calls into question, like, do they still have blood? Are they? No. A functional, are they? How does how does it work, David? Well, we'll we will arm our listeners with plenty of little tidbits and thoughts to have a discussion that will thoroughly um, anger their significant others or friends, and also so they can be the life of the party when talking about the Pet Cemetery remake. Okay. In this movie, Stephen King does get a little bit of a main nod because the cat was a Maine Coon instead of one of those silvery blue kitties that they used for the first one. The visuals with the with the uh, resurrected cat are pretty great. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty mangy looking cat. Yeah, I did not want to touch that cat. It looks, you know, cats can be. Gorgeous, like truly just beautiful, soft looking, so soft and silky. Or they can really be like the grossest thing on earth <laughs> next to a slug. Like, <laughs> ew, I do not want to touch that thing. Yeah, there's like, you can, yeah, like you said, they can be gorgeous or they can, you look at them, you're like, that's Disease. as dirty as a rat. Oh, yeah. That is basically a bigger rat. A well-kept cat looks svelte, you yeah. know, it's like, ooh, you look Remo, and yeah, then, in the in the original, like he goes through the effort of bathing church yeah. and getting them up to snuff because Ellie is like a discerning hey, child. He uh, he stinks real bad. Yeah. We should give him a bath, and they do. Um, and this one, I think they just like, eh. there oh is. no, wait, Ellie does comb comb its hair. Yeah, but like is <laughs> getting along the uh, scabs and stuff in the hair. It's like. <laughs> He's like, meow, back kitty. Now, let's talk a little bit about Zelda's death uh, in this pet cemetery, uh, which in <laughs> which is truly upsetting and something that would haunt a kid forever. So Rachel has a flashback to remembering a night where she is required to take care of her sister alone yet again. Her parents were so fucking... Can we talk about how... how in how bad a shape like Zelda was like she was not like she just looked like she had caked on vomit and stuff like and they were just like don't don't touch her just just throw some food like a prison inmate just throw some food in her room and kind of let her like sweat it out <laughs> yeah it was much more of like the uh the family secret no one knows that we have this other child but we keep her in the dungeon or whatever keep her locked up in the attic yeah and ooh didn't want, didn't want that on Mike. That would have been juicy. Uh, so, so Rachel is as a little child is is once again responsible for feeding her sister dinner, and she's alone in the house with her. Now, her sister lives upstairs, 
And she doesn't really like to go up there and see her because she's a terror to behold and she hates her little sister. So she, she goes, okay, well, I guess I'll, I'll compromise and use the dumb waiter that I've been explicitly told not to use. A dumb waiter is a little elevator for food and laundry and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one is broken-ish. Sometimes it works and sometimes it don't. And this time she puts the dinner in the dumb waiter pushes the button, starts going up, and it makes the breakdown sound, like, and then she hears then Zelda, she, and she hears Zelda stir. stumble over to the dumbwaiter, and then she kind of hears a little bit of a oh, dumbwaiter opening, and then a couple seconds go by, and then, boom, crash, boom, boom, and, and Zelda falls into, uh, presumably falls into the into the uh, dumbwaiter shaft. So after she falls in the shaft, there's, there's, you know, it's, it's basically, it sets up a jump scare, but that is how Zelda dies. And it's a shocking moment and it's well executed, executed. I thought, what did you think of the Zelda death in this remake? Yeah, it's, it's scary. Yeah. It's appropriate. It's a, it's a woman all folded in half, you yeah. know, that's been that's been fit into an elevator shaft that's much too small for a, a normal sized person to fit in. Yeah, it's much more more disturbing. How I can't remember how she died in, in the original. Like what was there an action that happened I or did she just I don't think she died. She did die because she? she was I'm pretty sh- sure like part of the original was she was talking about how when she died she was happy. That Zelda had died because it was such a burden. Um, I honestly can't. I don't think they. I don't think they like flashbacked Zelda's death in the first. That is one thing that's kind of missing from this remake. Um, is the the feeling of spelling or the spelling out of the fact that there's resentment about this person. Because they're waiting for her to die, and that kind of added a lot of color to the original, to where it, it touches on a lot more different angles with death. Mm-hmm. You know, this remake was much more specific about, you know, there's an afterlife, um, and you can bring people back from the dead, and there's problems with that. Yeah, you know, and in the original, it's much more poetic and how it deals with different aspects of death and like the different feelings that you feel about death and the people that have died that's true that's true this movie is much more cut and dried kind of not interested in exploring uh the theoreticals or the 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 potential different angles of death right because it's it's a as complex thing as as life you know it's, yeah it's just something everybody has to come to terms to but this movie is just more just black and white in in terms of how it approaches death yeah i think the original like takes a lot of different steps to where it leads you down the path to explore these different areas of dread and around death um That's and this true. one this one's more like fate based you know where it's going like it's right. very obvious that for a number of, of different reasons, right? Yeah. Because the first one, you have the first one, so it's yeah, you kind of know, right? But uh, but that's a uh, that's a really good point because the story of Pet Cemetery is an exercise in dealing with death, right? Right. So when you take out all those different 
angles and only consider the, the, the fate portion of it, it does become a little bit more black and white, a little more linear and a little less interesting. So yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Judd in this movie has a m- much more interesting and compelling reason to bring church back to life. Yeah, the setup for that is a lot better. Yes, than than the original. Like it, it feels like in the Judd. original, it feels like <laughs> Jug got drunk, right, and decided, eh, let's do this thing. Woo, let's go get a kitty, bring her back to life. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what it was. That was so. That's one of the reasons why the family was gone is so that they could set up bringing church back in the original. Right. Like, and I can't remember why they were gone, and and Lewis stayed back. But I do remember that when no. the family was gone, yeah, Church yeah. got hit by the car and Judd brought his attention to it. No, no, no. Because the, fam- the family was there for... You're thinking of a, a later portion of the movie when um, L had died. Then the family left. Oh, I'm talking about the original. Right oh, now. oh, you're talking about the original. Yeah. In the original, That's right. Lewis was alone when Church died. Right. And Judd brought his attention to it. And since they're away... And it it was Lewis saying, like, how am I going to tell Ellie it's her favorite cat? Yeah. Judd's like, I got you, fam. And takes him to the burial ground and, and resurrects Church. And there's enough time for yeah, Church and- to reappear and Lewis to discover <laughs> Church and, like, approach Judd and say, what did we just do? And Judd's like, don't worry about it. Yeah. It's back. And it was dead before. I don't know how it works. But there it is. But there it is. Now you don't have to explain death to your daughter. Yeah, and in this one, the family is home. Right. The cat gets hit. Judd's like, "Hey, um, Lewis, come over here and check check this out. I think I think your daughter's cat got hit." In the middle of them discussing the cat being dead, Ellie runs up and she's like, "Hey guys, how's it going?" And they're like, "Oh." Ooh, 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 ooh. And, and, and everything's good. Cats are all alive right now. Yeah, no, no dead cats behind us. And Judd's like, oh, she's like, ah, she. It's like Halloween or a birthday party or something uh-huh. like that. And she's like, I'm gonna put a spell on you. And Judd's like, you already have, sweetie. And it's sweet. And yeah. he, and you can tell. Oh, Judd cares very much for this little girl, and he doesn't want her to feel the the remorse of having to deal with the death of this cat. Yeah. The the relationship between Ellie and Judd is a lot better in this film. Yeah. And it sets up the reasoning for why Judd would want to help Lewis resurrect this cat. And Judd considerable effort is 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 put into keeping Judd out of of dealing with the death of the child, right? Right. Like he he ends up uh, Lewis ends up dr- drugging Judd to keep him from preventing him from bringing his yeah. dead child back to life. Yeah. There's some, there's some good, also some good uh, comedic uh, relief in this movie <laughs> as they're hiking through the, through the forest to bring church back to life. It's dark and spooky. And, and then uh, <laughs> like a big jump scare happens and, and Jed goes, Oh, don't worry. It's, it's just a loon. <laughs> and, and it was fun and funny. And, uh, and then they bring church back to life after Lewis <laughs> right. after Lewis comes back from the graveyard. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He just knows he 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 buried his his daughter's cat in a faraway place. So he comes back 
and he tells his his wife Rachel, he's like, "Oh man, the cat got hit by a car, and I don't know what we're gonna do." But they just decided to say that Church ran away. Yeah, so they're like, "Okay, well, I guess we're gonna, I guess we're gonna tell her that Church ran away." So they they walk into her her bedroom and in the morning, and they're like, "Sweetie, honey, I'm sorry to tell you that your your cat ran away." And she's like, "What? No, no, he didn't. I saw him in the window last night." They're like, mm, "Yeah, probably not." But uh, real sorry about your your cat running away, and then uh, and then you hear this meow or something from from the closet, and they open up the closet and there's the fucked up church who's br- been brought back from the dead, and the mom goes to, Rachel goes to Lewis she goes, good thing you're not a fucking veterinarian, <laughs> and that really that that brought the theater up quite a bit as yeah. well. So some good uh, light. Much more levity in this movie than than in the first. Yeah. And um, and then there was there was a jump scare involving a medicine cabinet that was sufficiently awful and horrifying, um, where Rachel's uh, you know feels that there's something going on in this house, something nearby, and she goes to open the med- medicine cabinet, and boom, there's Zelda all crumpled up yeah. as as though she's in the dumbwaiter. Yeah, flashback to that. I mean, th- this is one of the things that I-, I can't say it bothered me about the movie, but it lessened it for me. I've already talked about it a little bit, but this movie feels really like a Conjuring movie. Like, the 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 production design, everything is super dark, everything spooky, like the house during the day. <laughs> Bryce looks super spooky. It's tw- it's 2019. Everything feels like a Conjuring movie. It just it just feels like um, this is how we do it now. Like why would why would this young family <laughs> live in a house with just terrible lighting <laughs> that constantly feels like there's going to be a ghost lurking around the corner? It's like not a Victorian old mansion. It's uh, like just some people's house. And uh, and so they do that so that they can set up these jump scares. And like I said, I don't blame them. It is effective. And as a th- as a as an audience, like it's a lot scarier to not see <laughs> stuff. Um, but as like a, a storyteller or thinking in in the mind of a storyteller, I think it'd be more compelling for it to be just. A regular house, like my house, you know? You're not wrong, but I think it's just a sign of the times kind of thing, because in the late 80s, early 90s, the way a lot of movies were set up, you know, think about Misery, think about Twin Peaks, think about Pet Cemetery. These were all movies that had, you know, decent lighting, and yeah. there was not, it was... And- or even or even Poltergeist, if you just look at Poltergeist, it, it looks very... Light suburban yeah you know and it's the stuff is just happening to a normal family yeah, in the a burbs. normal house the burbs is another yeah. great example of that well the burbs even starts going into like the dark like the, i mean the uh the clumpets or whatever their names are 60 percent of that movie is just outside in the sun they're right they're just baking on their roof like yeah. for part of it <laughs> yeah so, so yeah i mean that's like for me when it comes to family-based horror I like it to be light, realer, light and airy. 
I like it to remind me of my own white middle class life. <laughs> well, sorry, sorry, we can't help you there, Bryce. This yeah. is Maine. Maybe it's just darker in Maine. Although I doubt it. We live in Washington, and it yeah. is, it's pretty dark here. Yeah, not as dark as this movie, but yeah, that's that's legit. And I think it's just a sign of. The, I think it's. You know, it's yeah, the, I mean, it's the way movies have moved. If you've got producers that are like, we're going to make a scary movie. All right. We know it works in scary movies. And they do that, which is they make it look like The Conjuring. Yeah. Yeah. One big twist in this Pet cemetery is that Gage isn't the child that they lose. It's Ellie. I thought that this worked really well, given the, the friendship between Judd and Ellie. And it provided a super fresh take for the audience who patented patentedly expected Gage to die during that memorable scene. They set it up like Gage was going to die. He's out in the street. He's running around. But then the cat shows up in the middle of the street, and Ellie goes running over to him to to say what's up. Like, hey, kitty. And the semi sees Gage, swerves to avoid him. The trailer comes off and smashes Ellie right in her cute little face. Mm-hmm. And then she dies. Yeah. And Keith goes into some pretty good detail, and he, and he really predicted a lot of things really well. And in his blog? In his blog um, about the reasons for it. And then he talks about the director talking about why they made the choice to go with Ellie instead of Gage. You knew. Uh, see, I, I, didn't even, I didn't even read that portion of his blog where he, where he apparently gave up that, that spoiler. Right. How did you know? How did he know? It's in the, I mean, it's pretty obvious in the trailer. Oh. See, this is, this is part of the advantage of, well, I mean, <clears throat> well, I mean, so, uh, yeah, I mean, but it well, wasn't the, spoiled for me ahead of time, the, right? The point was, like, there were storytelling reasons for, for choosing Ellie, um, mainly how they were going to use Ellie in the movie, yeah. in this movie. Um, they wouldn't have been able to do it in the same way with like a two-year-old, right? Um, like uh, Mary Lambert, the director of the original, did a really, really great job of using that little boy, yeah, and pulled off like some great disturbing stuff using that kid. But it was more of like highlighting what have you done, you know this this uh this is not your son kind of thing and it's uh he's a danger to you now but with ellie as the resurrected one it's actually she could be more of a threat like a physical threat because she's, yeah, she's big enough to you know you know not that you couldn't take her <laughs> but she could actually do some damage yeah you know? but and, a two-year-old you could just punt across the carpet <laughs> and you'd be done right um, I mean, both, they do basically the same thing, but Ellie, um, you know, had, didn't need to necessarily surprise the person outright and, and, uh, like sucker punch and do the equivalent of a sucker punch. Yeah. She could actually, you know, run after them and stab them kind of thing. And a little two year old wouldn't do that. And, you know, that, that's what they're going after. They're going after kind of the slasher aspect with using uh undead child and that wouldn't have worked out it would have been seen as hokey or ridiculous yeah with, with gage but you lose something <laughs> by going with ellie 
because in the original, I mean, Gage is much more of just this adorable kid. They focus a little more on him, and he's just the embodiment of innocence. Like, he didn't do anything wrong. And you really see that the family just, they all loved Gage. And the death really hurts The death really, really hurts with Gage. And, and the... It hurts the audience. Yeah. Whereas in this, it, I mean, it is painful, but it's nothing like losing a two-year-old. Right. Which is, in a weird way, so tragic. Right. Like, the ultimate tragedy. Because there's... I mean, you still, it's still really painful to lose Ellie because, you know, you've gotten no personality. Yeah. Everyone in the, everyone of the characters has a relationship with her. It's and, less and are affected tragic by it. to the audience, though. But there's always this element of, like, she should have known better. Right. Like, she's, she's like, you know, nine or ten. Like, you know, you don't just run out into the street like you you are aware of your surroundings let me see if i can kind of sum up what you're saying are you saying that this little nine-year-old girl who died in the street by a semi-truck hitting her deserved it i'm saying that's what i'm hearing yes she should have known better oh it's her stupid bitch yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean see that's the that's the other element is like as a parent (laughs) <laughs> there's a certain age range where the kids are literally trying to kill themselves right. and it's your responsibility to t- to stop them. And it is a great tragedy and a personal, like it's your fault. Yeah. If they die, because oh, yeah. they're always trying to, you know, they're grabbing at knives and, yeah. you know, jumping through windows, running into the street, like constantly. But after like, you know, just the stairs eight, are terrifying. <laughs> like at eight or nine, they uh they're not trying to actively kill themselves cuz they also understand pain what consequences yeah they they start developing fear yeah. <laughs> around danger yeah so there there's a little bit lost there but i understand why they did it and and frankly like it worked it worked it well worked in a in different way yeah. yeah one thing that bothered me about this lewis was that he was able to dig up his dead child hike her out to an Indian burial ground in the middle of the night. After hiking her out there, he digs her a new grave, reburies her, and hikes home through the woods at night. Then he goes back to sleep. He goes back to sleep. How? I would be beside myself for days. I would never be able to go back to sleep if I had just done all those things that I just listed. It just seems unrealistic. I don't know. I'd be tired. That's a lot of digging. It's a lot of digging, a lot of hiking, a lot of carrying. I guess I kind of I mean, get I think it. on the hike on the way back you would have processed a lot of things. I, I you would don't have know, just man. been like I, I would have been able to sleep. Well, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Ellie comes back to life and Lewis decides to give her a bath because of how gross she is, having been buried twice. And as he's bathing her, the staples from her stint being prepped for burial the first time are present at the back of her head. Now, this is going back to your question that you asked about the deer of how long can something be dead before it can't be resurrected anymore? Uh To be buried, to, to be prepared for, to be put in the ground now in modern times, they suck all everything out of you. Brains, all your blood... They get you, and then they replace it with, you know, 
depending on if it's an open casket or not, they replace it with, you know, other stuff. But they definitely get, they definitely pull all your fluids out so that you can be preserved for burial. They don't suck your brains out. They don't? No. What were all the staples in the back of her head? Well, she got hit by a fucking truck. So it's probably like a huge gash. So she, they were mending the the gash? Yeah. I want took to bury it with a big fla- flap of skin. <laughs> I took it to mean I took it to mean that her insides were gone. I don't know. If you're a mortician uh, and a listener, drop us a line on Twitter and tell us if you suck brains out. Yeah. I know that they they pull out all the blood or they pump in the embalming fuel and fluid to uh preserve but i don't think they take out organs it's like an Hmm. ancient egyptian thing oh well i mean maybe she was a donor yeah i mean kid donors are very that's that's high dollar stuff that's i don't think they don't i don't think they do brain transplants no maybe not brain transplants but heart transplants for sure little kids need hearts yeah and kidneys all kinds of things my point is there could be all kinds of stuff missing from ellie and she's doing okay not okay but she's she's alive (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh so she uh appropriately she begins behaving erratically she dances to the nutcracker suite and breaks things and she's just she's just real freak freaking out she's she's freaking all out and it's not cool and it's appropriately disturbing and weird i tell you what man it was weird to see lithgow so old in this movie like he went from middle-aged lithgow to very old lithgow last time i remember him was in dexter and that was over like 12 years ago was it really that long ago yeah i think it was like 2007 oh wow his season anyway and yeah, he, he was great in that yeah but isn't it I, mean, I think i think he could still look the way he looked in in dexter it's like He's got a real scraggly beard in this yeah. one. So it, having a scraggly beard when you're old really adds on like a decade or two. It does. It does. But, I mean, remember Third Rock from the Sun? I never, was... I never watched it. Wow. You never watched Third Rock? No. I just looked at it and I was like, ugh. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Huh. So many things that you watched I feel that way about. But <laughs> <laughs> not, uh, not, I didn't know it went both ways. Are you saying that Quantum Leap isn't the pinnacle of television? Quantum Leap just celebrating its 30th anniversary. I read an article. I don't care what you say. Quantum Leap is great. The one thing we can agree on, I think, is Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's uh, that's good. One of the fake outs in this movie that I appreciated a lot was the heel, the the Achilles heel, <laughs> Achilles tendon cut fake out where it was like, look at this nice, juicy Achilles tendon. Look at like, look at it. It's just like from the shot is from under the bed <laughs> looking at his heel. And you're like, uh oh, they're going to cut him. Oh, and then he just like boots the bed and there's no one under it. And you're like, oh. And then, bam! And then they get him in the heel. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that Yay! was really great. I think the theater clapped. <laughs> like, <laughs> or everyone went, ooh. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, dealing with a dead kid is essentially the equivalent of dealing with a live kid, is, is what I learned from, from watching this movie. Dead kids in this movie are the same as live children in real life. 
Yeah, I guess that was another benefit of having Ellie be the dead <laughs> yeah. one because she's a bitch. There's really no difference between a two year old, like undead that's actively trying to kill people. It's like, yeah, I could still see a two year old just doing that. Yeah. And still be completely innocent. And they're like, hey, look, I learned that knives cut things. I'm going to cut you. <laughs> like, no, no, son. No, son. Cutting people's bad because Put that the hurts kni- them. Put the knife down. And there's like, no, but I want to kill people. No, son. That's bad. Yeah. But, in- and so when, <laughs> like, I could do that with my live son. I, I wouldn't be surprised just because they don't understand. Yeah. They just, you know, they don't understand anything. And so when there's an undead kid doing that, you're like, oh, yeah, it must be just like taking care of a regular two-year-old. Yeah. But with like a 10-year-old, it's, oh. Well. Oh, it's a nice little girl turned into like a monster. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's not that different. She does, I mean, you know, 10-year-old girl stabs her mom in the back two or three times. It's the same thing as real life, basically. (laughs) As far as I can tell, that's about when that starts happening. (laughs) Like, she, she likes dad. She hates mom. That's all cool. That's why I got two daughters, man. I'm just banking on the long term here. God help you once they turn 13. Ah. Uh, hmm. How am I going to deal with that? I don't know. I, I I always said, like, when my daughter turns 13, I'm going to just ship her out until she's, like, 25. Ship her out to, just like... Just, like, boarding school. Into, Have, like, to find a boarding school that will take them human. from 13 to, to 25. Oh, I was thinking, like... Or even better, like, 35... I was thinking like a human slave labor scenario where it's like they can make you some money or something like that. Mm. Yeah, but they're weak. They are weak, but then they could become strong and be helpful at home for once. Maybe I could have her dig for coal under our house. There you go. Coal under your house. But then I'd have to interact with her, too. That, that's the this thing. This is how you dig for coal. Like, I don't. <laughs> that's what I don't want to deal with is a 13-year-old girl that's like. Daddy, is this coal that like, hates that hates me and is like super passive aggressive and creating drama in every interaction in my life and covered in soot with and also black actively light. trying to ruin her life? All right, you know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to avoid that and uh, just you know, to be honest, Penny's six uh, and it's already like she's already a teenager. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's creepy. Like, just eye rolling and. <laughs> don't make that face at me that kind of thing uh, yeah the only thing is she once she like discovers boys it's just like oh god you don't understand I don't feel They're like I don't feel like you have the appropriate amount of hatred in you to deal with with male suitors yeah. like to be like you just be like oh, oh damn it and then kind of like, yeah, and then walk away. Yeah, instead that's, of that's the thing. Like I, that's what I fear is trying to teach my daughter how terrible men are. <laughs> I mean, because we're pretty <clears throat> awful, especially in that age. Like, yeah, can you remember how deplorable your mind was? From like, it's not a lot different now. Thirteen to twenty, it's not a lot different now. To be honest with you, and that's how. But I just have more reasoning and like restraint built in to keep that much more at bay. But so that that yes, I mean absolutely, it's one of those things where it's like you, girl, sweet loving girl. Yeah, you got to understand that this is an animal compared to you. Yeah, this is this thing 
is an animal. And it's shocking to see the difference between little kids like my daughter's age. So little girls and little boys at two and a half, boys are almost not even there. They're, they're, they're almost still a one-year-old that can walk. Uh-huh. And girls are like talking and sharing and looking at your face and considering how you're reacting. And a boy is just like... Uh, it's it's alarming how much how much faster girls mature than boys and and frankly that goes on forever (laughs) like i i'm just not just not on par with carrie in in terms of like like social yeah situations yeah i still have to check with her if i look good but at the start of the day is this appropriate and she'll go what no oh okay Try again. <laughs> so, uh, we're at we're at uh, Shazam last night. Watched a movie, and we've just had these horror movie talk stickers made. And the uh, oh yeah, that's right. So I got another Pet Cemetery poster. They like had the opening night posters, and I just nice. swiped one. And the server at the theater was saying like oh pet cemetery i really want to see that and then she went and got orders from the next people my wife was like she give her a she give her one of the stickers i was like "Eh, eh, eh, i don't know she's like just give it to me i'll give it to her so i give her a sticker and aaron's like hey you like horror movies listen to this podcast blah 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 how you like them apples like yeah yeah get some grow some balls dude (laughs) So and then she pointed out like the the one difference is that she's a girl talking to a girl. Like that is I mean imagine if you're like a 20-year-old and you see me and I'm like you like murder. <laughs> That's a really good point. That's a really really good point. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but you um yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> so back to the spoilers for Pet Cemetery. Uh, the end is a super twist. Gage is so Ellie kills her parents, takes them to the Pet Cemetery, buries them, makes them come to life, and then Gage is the last one left. Poor little sweet innocent two-year-old kid. So it's the inverse ending of of the first movie, kind of. Yeah, it's. I mean, both are have a very dark ending. Yeah, like the the original ends, and you realize like, oh, he Lewis hasn't learned anything. Right, like he's gonna try to resurrect his wife, and his logic is like, well, I'm just gonna do it right away, and then she'll get, come back the same. You know, she won't be evil, right? And then it just ends with him walking towards the cemetery. But in this one, it's much more darker. It's like. Nope. Everyone comes back, and it's just the little innocent little boy. This poor little thing that relies on people to keep it alive is now so, yeah, going they, to be killed and resurrected. They by... do use that innocence in the ending. The innocence of Gage yeah. is like just underlined when the entire family of undead you know, parents and sister come to the car that he's locked in, and Lewis just goes, boop, boop. Unlocks the car, and, and that's then, the end. then it ends. Yeah, so overall, I'd say watch this movie in theaters. It is a fun time. The audience is in, was engaged the entire time. Uh, actually, I was taking a look at uh, our friend's Facebook 
um, the Scariest Things podcast, uh-huh. and they posted a picture of them at the same screening as us yeah. <laughs> taking a picture of the back of your head. Yeah, and you so sent that to me. I thought that was I thought that was funny. So they're gonna they're gonna have a review on this as well. So you can. You know, go ahead and check out their their podcast, scariestthings.com. That's scariest with one T. So yeah, scariest things, except it's, it doesn't have two T's. No two T's. Okay, so with that, let's get ready. Don't shilly shally, Lewis. I'm trying not to. Let's get ready to play the Rotten Tomatoes game. <laughs> Attack of the Rotten Tomatoes. So the Rotten Tomatoes game is a game where I pit two movies against each other and Bryce has to determine which one has the higher score on Rotten Tomatoes and that's the Tato Meter score, not the audience score. Today's matching pairings are going to be the originals versus the remakes. So without further ado, I'm trying not to shilly shelly. The first matchup is A Nightmare on Elm Street. 1984 versus Nightmare on Elm Street, 2010. Um, I'm going to say the original has the higher score. See, so you'd think that because the original was good and the second one, <laughs> the remake, was very bad. Uh, by the way, we do have a blog on this mm-hmm. uh, that, that Keith wrote, the original versus the remake and uh and he tears into the remake so you are right the ah, the french <laughs> ah, yeah, the original got a 94 percent, and the remake got a 15 percent. so a little bit a little bit of a t- discrepancy there nice the second set is the fog from 2005 that's the remake versus the fog from 1980 the original I always get this mixed up with the mist. I can't mm. remember which one's the fog and which one's the mist. Yeah, no, that's tough. You really got to know these things. Is the which one ends with the like the guy killing his family? Yeah, I uh, I believe that's the fog. <laughs> so you don't know which one's the fog either. No, I do. I do want to cast some shade on this because I feel like if I let on too much between the fog and the mist, you're going to the. You have to use the things God gave you. I can't give you too much. Um, I'm going to say the remake is higher scored. Ooh, I'm very sorry, Bryce. This is actually a very large discrepancy. Oh, no. Much like the first. The Fog, the fog remake got a 4%. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Hell to the no, that's what every critic said when they saw the Fog remake. That's what I'm going to play when I get it wrong. Okay. And then moi the French when I get it right. <laughs> the, the original got a 75%, so wow. pretty decent. So the next pairing is The Crazies. That's, I believe that's George A. Romero. Uh, and I think he had an executive producer credit on the remake. So you got 1973 versus 2010 2010 popular year for remakes <sighs> the crazies i'm 
let's walk walk us through the thought process. I mean, I gotta think that there has to be a remake that's higher scored than the original, and it feels like an '80s George Romero, '70s '70s George Romero would not be highly rated. So I'm gonna say the remake. You are correct. <laughs> the French. Yeah, the, uh, the the 2010 crazies are actually pretty good. That being said, the original is not bad either. They're mm. both they're both decent movies, and you know you should give them give them a chance if you if you can. Yeah, 1973 uh, crazies got 64 percent, whereas the 2010 got a 71 percent. So next we have the hills have eyes, the original from 1977, and the remake from 2000. Six. I'm going to say the original. Why would you say that? I haven't seen either one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember that the remake was... Of course, I was talking to a co-worker that's more towards the middle-aged woman category so she didn't no i think she's accurate i think she's like super super gory and like exploitative it's it's like torture porn yeah it's torture porn level i don't think critics like torture porn Mm, they don't seem to even when it's good even when it's good and give us an example of good torture porn i think hostile was great yeah you do like that i won't i won't watch it and i like (laughs) go if you haven't read it go read ebert's review of the human centipede. It is <laughs> glorious. Why? Because he doesn't give it a score. He doesn't give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down or, or anything. He just says, <laughs> I give. <laughs> May God have mercy on your soul. I, I'm not. He says, I'm not giving uh, the human centipede a star rating because it exists in a universe with no stars. <laughs> He recognizes that it's not it's not of this world. Yes. Yeah. That is the correct rating for the human centipede. So, I'm sorry, did you say the original on this one? Yes, the original. And you are going to be correct. Ah, the French. The original from 1977 got a 67%, and the remake got a 51%. And I've been told I didn't watch it because I heard... Yeah, it's pretty brutal, the the remake. So f- the final, uh, I, I can't recall. I think you've got two points. I think you've you've got two, yeah, maybe so three. What, what ones did we do? I, I missed the fog. You missed the fog. You, so I got the first one. Just where the movies were. Nightmare on Elm Street Nightmare. I got. Missed the fog. Crazies. Crazies. And Hills Have Eyes. I think you have three points I have now. three points now, yeah. Okay, so, so I won the game. So the final, the the the, the final pairing is going to be Halloween nineteen seventy eight versus Halloween two thousand eighteen. There's been a couple remakes of Halloween, but we're choosing obviously the best one. Huh. Yeah, this is actually this is a hard. hard. One. Yeah, this, this is, is actually a hard, hard one because both are very good. Halloween. The 1978 one, is it 78 or 79? 78. 78 was so influential, Mm. and you got to take into account that it's a classic movie, so... It's been reviewed and re-reviewed. Yeah, even modern sites are going to be reviewing it over and over again. Schlubs like us. 
um, because it's got a, a huge series of movies. So people, of course, are going to review the first one favorably. Uh, I am going to say the remake. You are wrong. Halloween 1978 got a 95%, whereas the remake now is sitting at 79. Oh. It really took a nosedive over the last couple months. I would have I swapped that. And rightfully so, I, I say. The, the remake... Eh, it's not even really a remake. It's, it's in the... It's, it's a... It's a it's a it's a response. It's like number two to the first one. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess it's what you would call a soft reboot. Soft is literally a sequel, though. Yeah. It's a, it's supposed to be like ignoring the second movie and and building from there. Like this is what happened after the first, but for real this time. <laughs> no, I thought it was. I thought it was after the second. No. I, don't I thought it went so. one, one, two, and then oh, maybe the remake. I don't know. I don't know. I just no, host, wait, they, I just they, host a horror movie podcast. Okay. Why would I know yeah. this? <laughs> you might be right. Anyway, so that's the end of the show. Thank you very much for listening. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and share it with a friend and give it a review and like us on Facebook and hit us up on Twitter and do all that fun stuff. If you want to support the show and get great horror movies and shows streaming, check out Shudder and use HMT at checkout. That's code HMT at checkout to get 30-day free trial instead of the normal stupid 7-day free trial. That dumb old 7-day. We got 30. Sup? Yeah. Don't shilly-shally. Don't about, shilly. sh- about Shudder. Yeah, don't do that. Anyway, also, if you want to support the podcast, click through our Amazon Associates link at the top of our page, and you will give us a couple cents here and there. Special thanks to everybody who's been producing tremendous traffic on our website. We love everyone who comes and stays, and if you leave right away, we hate you. <laughs> and so make sure to have a great week, and we love you. I love you, too. So goodbye. Bye. Bye.